Yeah, God, we echo that. Lord, your name is great, and it is greatly to be praised. We acknowledge your name, God. Yahweh, Elohim, Adonai, Jehovah, Emmanuel, the God who is with us. We thank you, God, that you are with us. But we don't have to walk this life by ourselves. You are with us, God. In our families, God, you are with us. As we work and live in the community, you are with us. And we're gathered here together as your people, and you are with us. We acknowledge your presence right now, Holy Spirit. We came here for different reasons, Lord, but the primary reason is you to be glorified and exalted amongst us. And as we worship you, God, we pray, Spirit of the living God, would you fall on us again? Would you help us again? We say we need you again. We cry out to you again to meet us again. Before we ever hear what you say, before you ever prompt us, we are thankful. We are grateful. We look forward to what you have for us. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm so glad to see all of you here. Glad for those of you that have chosen to stream with us and uh, glad to have the opportunity to share the Word of God with us this morning. Also, very, very glad, very, very thankful for any uh, guests that are with us this morning. To our guests, my name is Vincent Carpenter. I'm one of the elders, and I serve as the director of pastoral care here at Antioch, and we are so delighted that you're with us. If this is your first time or you just started coming here recently, we especially want you to feel honored and feel uh, comfortable and, and feel welcome. I know Austin gave greetings to you earlier. I just want to echo it again because we believe in Antioch is so important that new people, guests, uh, feel uh, right at home. Uh, and we say that because all of us, I know I certainly have, all of us probably have had some kind of experience where you were kind of the new person uh, in a new place. I came to Antioch in 2005, but before that, I spent about 15 years working in higher education. And so after my first seven or eight years, I remember changing departments. I went to a new department. And for a while, I was the only guy in this department. And so we would have weekly staff meetings. And, and what I learned as the new guy uh, at these staff meetings, there was always just kind of like the first 15, 20 minutes was always just chatter and banter about random topics. We didn't just come in and get right to business. We always connected and found things to talk about. And, and so I'm the new guy uh, in uh, this, this staff and one of the first times we talked about uh, in the staff meeting was pantyhose. <laughs> and so we had a 15-minute discussion about pantyhose. And as I was sitting there, I was thinking, I don't know if I have anything to contribute to this conversation. <laughs> but that's okay. I'm not judging my coworkers. Those were some great years there. Those were some great folks to work with. And and uh, so I'm not judging now because I've had times myself where maybe I talked about something that made somebody else feel not quite so much at home. You know, I'm a, for example, I'm a, I'm, I'm a gym rat. You know, I'm always in the gym. And so I'm always with my buddies talking about how to build muscle, you know. 
And so I can tell some of you guys wouldn't have anything to contribute to that conversation. <laughs> now, I was really just kidding. Actually, I'm not kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> But this morning, we're going to have a conversation about the Word of God, and my hope is that everybody can contribute. Everybody will feel welcome. Everybody can feel at home. You see, we are in a series, and I get the privilege of continuing to help us in this series of Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, and we're calling it Our Inheritance. We're talking about uh, the foundational basic principles uh, that Paul gives the church in Ephesus, and that is a message to us about basic fundamentals of what the people of God are supposed to be like. And all of this is preparations for actually a fall series we're going to do on Ephesians chapter 4, where we learn to apply these basic foundations so that we become, as a people and individuals, all that God has created us to be. Now, uh, God has a great plan for his people. We, say, we read Jeremiah 29, uh, uh, 11 around here a lot that talks about God has a great plan. He has a good plan for us, uh, a plan to give us a hope and a future. God's got this good plan for his people. God, this, God's this good plan for you as an individual, okay? And so we want to tap into that. We want to talk about that. We want to engage this great plan that God has for us. However, we have an enemy, we know that, and it's his job to try to divert this plan that God has for us. So to help us with our conversation this morning, I want to start our talk, our conversation about uh, a time where the enemy tried to divert God's plan in my own personal life, okay? So uh, I... um, Grew up, and some of y'all have heard my testimony, I grew up in a church where we were very involved and very engaged. Went to church multiple times a week, all day on Sunday. And so me and my siblings were very much at church all the time. One particular day, uh, me and one of my older sisters, we were at a youth group activity. So we go to this youth group activity, we get there early, and it's kind of the pre Uh, activity chatter. Everybody's sitting around talking, just hanging out. The adult leaders haven't gotten there yet. And so we get there, and uh, it's a wide range of kids. I'm about seven, eight years old at the time, and my sister was about three years old. She was about 10 or 11, somewhere in there, and then there were some teenage kids that were there as well, so a broad range of kids. We walk in, and one of the teenage kids, for some reason, decides to make a very derogatory comment about my older sister. And they make this comment, and that sparked another a teenager made a similar, very cruel, very mean-spirited remark, and that prompted another till about six or seven different kids just all just piled in and just started insulting her one after another after another till eventually she just broke into tears. Now, again, these are teenage kids. I'm seven years old, and so I'm not exactly sure what to do or what I could do about what was going on. So all I could do, all I remember doing in that moment was with and for my sister, I felt humiliated and I felt shame. And so then uh, later, uh, the adults come, uh, they pull my sister out, they comfort her, they come back later and they address the youth group about what had happened. And I'm thankful for that. I'm glad somebody did something. I'm glad somebody said something. But the reality, though, is for me at that moment in my life, the damage had been done. 
Uh, I wasn't sure why those kids said what they said. I'm not sure why people would do something like that. I didn't understand what I could have done or maybe should have done. But I was clear about one thing. And I remember clearly coming out of that experience. I remember going home that afternoon, and I was certain about one thing. And that one thing was, I don't belong here. I made a decision in my mind, I am not a part of this church. I do not belong with this people. And then I went further on and decided, hey, I'm, I'm going to leave here. Now, I was seven years old. We were very involved in that church. My mom was highly influential leader. We weren't going nowhere. I knew that. <laughs> but I was kind of projecting to the future. I was thinking when I'm older, when I'm independent of my parents, I'm going to find a different church. I, I don't belong in this people. Now, I share all that to say, uh, maybe you're here today and maybe you can identify with my plight. Maybe there's some place, some space, some relationship, some community where you have felt like you don't belong. Any our community church, we're a very family-oriented church. We're very relational here. And so maybe you're in the middle or have been through a broken relationship, and that challenges you to feel like you belong. Uh, maybe there's some other reason, some other challenge that you might be uh, experiencing. Maybe you have a different opinions about social issues than many of the people that are part of this congregation. And it challenges you to feel like uh, you belong. Uh, maybe uh, you are struggling with some kind of uh, issue in your life right now. Maybe there's some uh, sin. Maybe there's some issue you're dealing with. And all you hear around here is everybody that's having all these miraculous breakthroughs and God's working powerfully in their life, and here you are struggling. And maybe that tempts you to feel like you don't belong. Or maybe there's all other kinds of issues you experience. We, at the staff, we call them Antiochisms, things that we all do, like uh, going on mission trips and participating in miracles. And maybe you've never participated in any of those things, and that challenges you to feel like you don't belong. I certainly, in my childhood experience that I explained to you, I felt like I did not belong. But God intervened. God interrupted. God uh, got involved in my situation, and he did that through a specific person uh, in our church, and it was my Sunday school teacher. You may have heard me even share some of this story before, but uh, my Sunday school teacher was the most passionate follower of Jesus that I knew at that time. She loved Jesus. She talked about Jesus everywhere, and she had this uncanny ability to make people feel at home and feel welcome. I remember specifically she brought more people to church than I ever saw anybody in this church that I grew up in. And one of the things that really was marking to me about her is that she would reach out to any and everybody. She would talk passionately about Jesus at church. She would talk passionately about Jesus at home. And my perception was she must be talking passionately about Jesus where she worked. Now, I never went where she worked, but she brought her coworkers from work to church with her. So that gave me an impression she must be talking about Jesus there too. Now, this was in the 1970s, and this church I went to was homogeneous. It was all African-American. I lived in a neighborhood that was all African-American. My whole world was very homogeneous, but my Sunday school teacher would bring these coworkers who were Caucasian, and she would make them feel at home in our church. And so she would talk passionately about Jesus. She would reach out to different people. She started making me feel like 
I don't feel like I belong here, but there's something about her and there's something about she the way she lives her life. I feel like I can be a part of that. It gave me a place of belonging. I feel like I didn't belong, but God has something more for me. And if you're here today and you feel like you don't belong, maybe in your family, maybe in your workplace, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe even in this church, God has something more for you. Last week, Austin Murray preached a beautiful message to us about salvation. He talked about how the grace of God has brought us from death unto life. It has brought us from a place of bondage unto freedom. The grace of God has pulled us from being children of wrath, meaning our inheritance is separation from God and damnation. It has transformed us from being children of wrath to children of God. The grace of God is powerful, and that same grace that gives us relationship with God, that same grace God is pouring out today to give us all relationship with each other to create an environment where all of us belong. And that's what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about this sense of being belonged. Now, as I say all that, let me say a couple of things about this sense of belonging. Belonging doesn't mean sameness. To belong, you don't have to think the same thing or say the same thing or look the same way or have the same background. Matter of fact, uh, everybody being exactly the same in every way, that's not uh, belonging at all. That's actually conformity, kind of a culturally, socially forced unity, if you will. That's not uh, belonging. And on the same token, uh, this uh, belonging that I'm talking about uh, is centered in Jesus. We're not talking about belonging to and with the world. We're not talking about belonging to and with the broader culture. We're talking about all of us who name the name of Jesus and who walk in the ways of Jesus. When we call his name, therefore, we have a place of belonging. I like to say it this way. Whenever when every believer belongs, the body is strong. Would you repeat that with me? When every believer belongs, the body is strong. Now, the Word of God teaches us about this sense of belonging. And so uh, we're going to look at our passages, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. That's a lot of verses, so we're going to read it in parts. But I'm going to ask you, if you will, if you will stand with me, we're going to read the first three verses of this passage. We're going to read together Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 11 through 13. Let's read it together. Ephesians 2 verse 11 says, Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who formerly were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. This Paul starts this, this, this teaching off to the Ephesians, and he's describing uh, the Gentile believers here. And he used some very unusual wording here. 
he says this, he calls them the uncircumcision. Now, understand, uh, that's, this, we're talking first century, we're 20 centuries later, that may not phase you. But when he called them the uncircumcision, he wasn't complimenting them. Okay, remember those things that got said to my sister? You can kind of parallel. When, you, when he calls them uncircumcision, he is not uh, honoring them. He is belittling. That is a powerful statement to call them the uncircumcision. That's what the Jews call the Gentiles, the uncircumcision. They, they weren't affirming them by saying that. He also calls them separate, strangers, excluded, no hope, no God. I mean, man, he is starting this thing out pretty low, pretty negative here, I think. Now, you might say, why is he doing that? I mean, these Gentiles, they're in Christ now. Shouldn't we be celebrating the grace and the mercy? That's what Austin had preached to us last week. Shouldn't it be a celebration? Why is he bringing up all this negative stuff from the past? Well, to understand that, I got to give us a little bit of a history lesson. So we're going to divert for a few minutes here. So what I need to say is don't check out. Don't go to lunch right now. This has relativeness to this sense of belonging, but you got to follow me for a little bit of a history lesson. Okay, y'all all up for that? Okay, let's do a little history lesson. Okay, so... Genesis chapter 11, you may be familiar, there's a story there called the Tower of Babel. At that time, if you read Genesis 11, the whole earth was one place. All the people were one people. Everybody had one language. There was, in a a literal sense, one people, one nation, one, there was a literal one race of people, okay? But it says in that chapter that they begin to build a tower that they try to build all the way to the heavens, and uh, God said, actually, because of their unity, they, they actually could have succeeded in doing that. So he divided them. They were trying to be like him. They were trying to be gods in and unto themselves. So he separated them by language. They began to speak in different tongues. They couldn't understand one another. So they had to separate out into different people. So now here is in the first time in human history, we have people groups. The scripture says ethnos, where we get the word ethnicity, cultural groups, racial. This is where all of that develops and divisions come into the human experience, okay? So, uh, that's Genesis chapter 11. But the very next chapter, flip the page, Genesis chapter 12, God initiates a relationship with a man named Abram. He says, I'm going to make you into a great nation, I'm going to make you into one of these people groups that have formed in the earth. And he says, I'm going to bless you so that you be a blessing to the whole world. See, we all started out as one family of God. But because of our attempt to rival God, to parallel God, to be like him, then we had to be divided. But then God immediately goes right back and initiates a plan to bring us all back together again. The point is, God's plan from the very beginning and throughout history is for all his people to be one people, to be one people, one community, for all of us to belong to him and to belong to one another. However, God was going to uh, use this people, Israel. They were going to be his ambassadors, okay? So he actually told them. He told them to actually to exclude everyone else. He said, I want you to stay separate from all of the people of the earth and be loyal only to me. Now, the purpose of that was when the people is divided, they all begin to worship their own gods. 
So the Gentiles, all these people, all these non-Jews, the, the people that came from Abraham, they became what's known as the nation of Israel. They became known as what we call the Jews. They became a people, and they wanted to be specifically loyal to God, and his name in Jewish uh, language was Yahweh. Okay? But all the Gentiles, all the non-Jews had numerous gods. He said, I don't want you worshiping those gods, so I want you to stay exclusive from these other people. But the purpose of that was this. They would be loyal to Yahweh. Then they would be empowered by him. They would become a witness to all these other nations, and then all these other nations will be drawn into this family Israel. See, it was God's plan all along to be one people. He initiates with these Jews. He empowers them to be his ambassadors, his witnesses, his reconcilers to the rest of the world so that we all come and become, again, one family. The challenge became either Israel either missed this call to be an ambassador for God or either somewhere along the lines it got lost. Because what happened is they took the call to be exclusive in and unto themselves. They even began to feel superior to all the other nations. Basically, they felt like we exclusively are the people of God and no one else belongs. That's what happened historically. Now, let's come back. Thanks for paying attention. Thanks for not going to lunch. Let's come back to Ephesus. So why is Paul reminded? Why is he brought all this back up? The reason being, now you have this church at Ephesus. You now have Jewish believers who come from this history I just described and Gentile believers all in the same place. Two different ethnic groups, two different racial groups, two different people now all in the same body together. And this same exclusiveness that we talked about in the ancient biblical history is now manifesting itself in this first century church. And that is why he brings all this back up. Now, what does that have to do with us? Psalms 133 says, how good it is when brothers dwell together in unity. He says, there I command a blessing. God wants one family. We just looked at that historically. It's always been in the mind and the heart of God for his people to be together, for his people to feel a sense of belonging. That's always been his plan. But the enemy is always trying to bring separation. The enemy is always trying to bring division. The enemy is always trying to bring hostility, enemy exclusion. But he's trying to tell us today what this message means to us today is God's body is most powerful when it's unified. And in order for the body to be unified, uh, there must be a sense of belonging. We all have to feel like we have a part. Matthew 12 says, a house divided against itself cannot stand. But this passage is showing us the enemy wants to divide us, but God said, no, I actually want you to belong. And what happens is we ourselves, though we may uh, have a hard time admitting it, we now, even now, sometimes live or we have attitudes like certain people don't belong. And probably more than that, many of us live or have attitudes as if we think we don't belong. I came to the staff in, in uh, 2005, and one of the first things I discovered was different staff members telling me they didn't feel like they were that important to the church. 
And they said they felt that way because they didn't serve as an overseas missionary. Obviously, y'all hear us talk quite a bit about missions, that we are a missional people. That is a hallmark of Antioch Community Church. We want to be on mission in Waco. We want to be on mission in our nation. We want to be on mission in the nation. So you're always hearing about missionaries. We honor those people who serve in various places. That's a, that's a critical value for us as a people. And so some people who necessarily aren't doing it in an international context, some felt they weren't as important. So now my calling by nature, I am always connecting people. It's not something that I've done. It's just God's put it in me. I used to initially call myself a bridge builder. A few years ago, God told me that he saw calling me peacemaker. That's just something I'm always naturally, two people are divided. Something in me wants to bring them to each other. So when I start hearing people say they didn't feel as important, that kicked in. Something in me is like, no, that doesn't feel right to me. I got to do something. So I, it wasn't even really my responsibility, but I just started going to other leaders in the church and bringing this topic up. Then I heard that some of our overseas workers felt like they weren't important to the church because they were a missionary. Then I realized, oh, this is not about somebody not belonging. Here is the work of the enemy trying to separate us one from another. And so today, the message is to us, whether you serve overseas as a missionary, whether you serve in our nation as a missionary, whether you serve as a missionary as a stay-at-home mom, whether you serve as a missionary as a business owner, whether you serve as a missionary walking down the street helping homeless people, whatever it is, you belong. That's God's call to us. And the same grace that gave us relationship with Jesus, the same grace that gave us salvation, that same grace is applied to all of our relationships. We have the same power to make everybody feel like they belong. When every believer belongs, the body is strong. Okay? Now, how, how does this happen? Because we are a diverse people. There's all kinds of people. There's all kinds of backgrounds. We all have different upbringings. There's all different ethnicities. There are different people in different economic classes. We all have different political views about things. There are different races and ethnicities represented in this body. There are people with different gifts. Some of us are introverts. Some of us are extroverts. Some of us are organized. Some of us are spontaneous. Some of us like to spend money. Some of us like to save money. We're very unique. We're very different. We're very distinct. And we're made that way by God. So how are all these people supposed to be in the same place and everybody feel like they belong? Because the enemy would love to use those uniquenesses, those distinctives, those nuances to make somebody feel excluded. How does that happen? Okay, let's go to our passage. Let's go back. I'm going to read to you verses 14 through 16. It says here, For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is in the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. Okay? So that's a lot of words there. Paul uses lots of language and lots of phrases. So what does all that just mean? Let me summarize it, then unpack it. I'm going to summarize it this way. If we're all going to be different and unique and all these different expressions that are given to us by God, yet all of us feel together, all of us feel like we belong, 
What he's telling us here is to put Jesus over preferences. Would you repeat that with me? Put Jesus over preferences. Okay, now, how does that happen? Okay, so uh, he says here, back in verse 15 again, he says, he abolished the enmity. That means the division, the hostility, the separateness, the expense of exclusion. He abolished that. And he said he did that, that enmity, that division, he said, which is the law and commandments. Okay, so on first reading of that, when I, I'm studying that pattern, it's like, it's like, oh, simple readings. Oh, it seems like the law is a problem. The ordinances, the rules, the regulation, that, that's the problem, right? And if the law is a problem, let's just get rid of it then. We're, we're a New Testament church, right? We're not under the law, right? That's the, law, the law is a problem, right? Well, actually, the law is not the problem. Uh, Psalms 19 uh, says, the law of the Lord is perfect. There's nothing wrong with the law. The problem is our ability to keep it. That's the problem, okay? So, uh, Jesus comes along. He says, well, let me help this problem. Here's where grace and mercy comes back in again. Matthew 5, 17, Jesus, again, he affirms the law. He says, I didn't come to abolish the law. Nothing wrong with this law. My father made this law. It's perfect. I didn't come to do anything to it. I came to fulfill it. What he's saying is this law is good. This law is helpful. The scripture says that the law, it's a tutor that brings us to Christ. It's a good thing. We just can't keep it. So he says, I will keep it for you. Okay? Now, that makes us be able to be a part of the body. And there's another critical reason why we need to understand this. Jesus fulfills the law for us so that he becomes our central focus and not the law. You see, what can happen is, what happened with the Pharisees, they made keeping the law more important than the lawgiver. And the same thing can happen for us. We can make uh, our, our regulations, our preferences, our spiritual heritages, our cultures, our historical backgrounds, all the things that we have been raised with, brought with, we can actually make that more important than Jesus. We can live as if the way we serve Jesus is more important than Jesus. So basically, he's calling us, don't put your preference, don't put your background, don't put your upbringing, don't put those things more important than Jesus himself. The Carpenter family, we um, had ways of trying to honor and value one another in this way. Uh, all of y'all probably heard of the five love languages, right? Okay, so acts of service, gifts of kindness, words of encouragement, uh, gift giving, those kind of things. So you and I all know, we, Tanya and I have five kids. There's seven of us. And so six of the seven acts of service is our love language. Tanya and Tanya Long, my beautiful wife sitting back here, physical touch is her love language. So you got one person different from everybody else in the family. And the kids grew up regularly excluding her. Like, quit touching me. Get off of me. You know, they, we don't like that love language. But trying to be a good dad, when we have our family devotion, sometimes we would end family devotion and we say, okay, now group hug to honor mom's love language, okay? We didn't want her to feel excluded. We wanted her to feel like she belonged with the rest of the carpenters, though she is distinct in different ways. God wants us to put Jesus over our preferences, okay? Well, let's go further. How else can this happen? Let's look at verse uh, 17 and 18. It says, and he came and preached peace 
to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Okay? Uh, the way I would describe this is he's saying, pursue peace. Would you repeat that? Pursue peace. Okay? Uh, what, what exactly does that mean? Both the Jews and the Gentiles, there's these two groups of people that are in this church together. Both of them are children of wrath. Both of them are separated from God. Both of them are excluded from their heavenly father for different reasons. The Jews were children of wrath because they could not keep the law like we talked about before. Uh, the, the Gentiles uh, were excluded uh, because they didn't know God, period. They didn't even know about God to keep the law. So they were excluded for one reason, and the Jews were excluded for another reason. So Jesus said, well, regardless of why they uh, don't have a relationship with me, I'm going to preach peace to both of them. Okay? And so to the Jew, he says, you no longer have to try to keep the law to know me. That was good news to them. And to the Gentiles, he said, you can be a part of the family of God too. And guess what? You don't have to be a Jew. That was good news to them. They both had grace and mercy poured out to them. That means they, no one was excluded, and they all were given uh, the peace of God. Now, what does that say to us? We all have been given grace. Mercy has been lavished on us. And now it's our opportunity to give grace and mercy and lavish that on others, specifically people who are different from you. The grace of God is not poured out for you to love someone who looks like you. The grace of God has been poured out for you to love on someone who is different from you, whatever that difference or whatever that distinctive may be. So God has called us to put Jesus over our preferences. He's called us to pursue peace. And then this passage gives us one more thought that I want to read to us. It's verse 19 through 22. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. Okay. This last thought, I, I summarize by saying, create cross-cultural community. Okay, would you repeat that with me? Create cross-cultural community. It's not saying build same community, because now you've got the Jews and the Gentiles, they're there together. Paul wasn't talking about Jews be good to other Jews. That's not what he was saying. He's not saying Gentiles be kind to other Gentiles. He's aware. Everybody is aware when Paul is saying honor each other. Love, they all know what he means. They are, every Jew already knew to honor another Jew. It was part of how they were raised. It was everything they knew. The Gentiles didn't follow God. They followed pagans. They followed idols, but they all was in their misery together. Everybody loved the people that was like them. They all understand. He's saying, love that other person. They all hear it. They all are understanding what he is communicating. Point and example. The Jews had a great temple, and the temple had walls in it. That's why he said he brought down the dividing walls. You see, there was an outer court in the temple, and there was an inner court. The inner court was for all of the Jewish worshipers. They could come in there and be close to Yahweh. And they had an outer court for the Gentiles. They could worship Yahweh, but just stay away from us. Okay? 
And actually, in the temple, there was a sign on the wall that divided the two courts. And the sign said, Gentiles, do not enter the intercourt, or if you do, your punishment is death. That's how serious they were about keeping separation. A Gentile would be killed for entering into the inner courts of the Gentile, of the Jews. But he said, now I have abolished that. I'm pulling away this separateness, this division, uh, this exclusion. Now, you can say, well, that don't apply to us. We don't, we don't have nothing like that here. There's no walls in this church. But we all can still walk in a, in, in a kind of a separateness. We can do that. We can uh, only uh, 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 approach folks that are like us. We can hang around people that think exactly like we do, and we can just easily avoid folks who are different from us. You know, sometimes it's obvious, and sometimes it can be very subtle, and, and most of it is very subtle. That's why we have a hard time dealing with it. That's what it makes sometimes uncomfortable to talk about. Sometimes our separations, our division are very, very subtle. Sometimes it's as subtle as, I just don't think about certain people. Many of you can say, oh, I, I've never said nothing derogatory about another cultural group. I've never said nothing negative towards somebody who grew up different from me. I've never said nothing derogatory about people on the other side of town. But our separation can simply be, but they never cross my mind. We can be openly hostile or we can be subtly hostile. Years ago, uh, my uh, Last two daughters went off to college. My youngest daughter is at uh, Dallas Baptist. And for a little while there, she kind of shocked her mother and I. She started talking about wanting maybe go to Texas A&M. <laughs> and so all my Aggie friends just chill for a second. <laughs> and, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't exclude nobody. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bridge builder. Y'all heard me? I'm a peacemaker. But there are limits. <laughs> and so we committed, my wife and I, we've committed to help all our kids. We can't pay for all your college, but we're going to commit. We're going to go along with you. We're going to help you wherever you go. Except I told her, but it'll be a cold day. <laughs> I won't finish that because I told this joke years ago, and a lot of people laughed, but I really offended some, some Aggie friends out there. So I don't want to offend y'all this, this Sunday. Because some people took that as an open hostility, is what I'm trying to get at. But sometimes we're not openly hostile, but sometimes we are subtly hostile. You cannot be separate from someone and have a relationship with them. You can say, oh, I don't, I don't have no problem with those people. I don't have a problem with people who vote that certain way. I don't have problems with, with that. I don't, you can say you don't have a problem with anybody, but anybody you are separate with, there is hostility between you and that person or that group. Because if, and if you don't believe me, think about your own family. If you don't spend time with your own family, your spouse, your children, whatever, what happens? Anytime you separate yourself from other people, it creates misunderstanding, easy to make assumptions. It's just easy for hostility and walls and division to develop in any relational dynamic where you keep separate. That's why he's saying you need to be together. He says here, y'all are of the same household. He uses that word. He says you're being built into a spiritual house. He's communicating togetherness. It has to be togetherness, and sometimes we got to be intentional about that. And if we don't, then we allow subtle hostility, subtle separation, 
subtle exclusion to happen in our lives. When I came to the church uh, years ago, uh, one dear brother I love, uh, Joe Ewan, we all love uh, Papa Joe, uh, on our board of advisors, and he comes and he encourages us and he supports us. And, and uh, when I first came, my first few years here, every time he would come, he'd come over from Scotland, he'd spend six or eight weeks here, and he would always say, Vincent, you are not on this staff because you're a black man. You're on this staff because you're a man of God. And he kept saying that, and he kept saying that. And I remember one time he said that, and I just kind of felt like kind of a pressure valve in my inner being. I just kind of felt like, okay, maybe I, maybe I belong here. He helped me. He, he was intentional. He could have just said, well, I never said anything negative. I, I, I don't, but, but he went out of his way to cause me to belong. You see, some of you feel like you belong here. Some of you don't have right. You might say, well, this was a waste of sermon. I did. I just don't reply to me. <laughs> no, it applies to you. If you feel like you belong, then there's a call to you. There's somebody sitting beside you that may not belong, and you have the capacity. You've been given the grace to make them belong. You've been given a call to go out of your way to make sure they feel at home. So I want us to do something. We're going to just do a 30-second. We're going to wait on God. And I want you to ask God, if you feel excluded, if you feel like you don't belong for some reason, whatever the reason is, God, what are you saying to me about that? And if you feel like you do belong, you feel at home, this is your place. You don't have any walls in your face. And then maybe there's an invitation to you, God, what are you saying to me about that? Is there somebody I can help belong? So I'm going to pray a simple prayer. We're going to wait on God 30 seconds, and then we're going to keep going in this service. So if you would pray with me, let's bow our heads together. Jesus, we ask you to speak to us right now. What are you saying to us about belonging? 